Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Entrepreneur and socialite Sir David Tang has died at the age of 63. I interviewed him for a couple of magazines, but actually never on radio. But RTHK's Noreen Mir did in a 2012 Backstory programme, where they had a great rapport. Here it is. Good morning and welcome to this week's Backstory with me, Noreen Mir. This week, I have quite the entertaining guest who is a frequent contributor to Radio 3 programs. Sir David Tang, a prominent entrepreneur, founder of Shanghai Tang and the owner of the China Club, shares his very own story, from his views on politics to his thoughts on the new Abercrombie & Fitch store where Shanghai Tang used to be. And he tells me more about his childhood and that it was not as rosy as people think. Did you have a happy uh, it childhood? Was, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> well... My mother is still here, so um, I mustn't uh, be too derogatory because she ha has been a wonderful mother. Uh, but uh, I actually wasn't brought up by her. During the years of when I was eight or nine, uh, ten, eleven, which is a very critical period because that's the time when you I think children ha have an acute sense of memory. When they had gone off to... England to prepare ourselves to go there, I spent my years with my grandmother, my brother and myself. We lived with her. So she effectively took hold of half of our uh, childhood and we didn't have our parents around for, for half the other time. And it was quite strange, but my grandmother really was a remarkable uh, lady and um, I almost wished that uh, she had been around more. I was very sad when I lost her eventually, but in my memory, she was a major character and somebody whom I became much more conscious of at the critical time when I remembered my childhood. It is a very extraordinary story for a Chinese family. Uh, people who don't know me think that I was brought up in a big house. My grandfather was a very prominent man and he had quite a lot of money. My great-grandfather already was quite a rich man. He built himself a house with seven stories on Gough Street because he had six concubines. <laughs> well, he had a wife and five concubines. And so he worked his way up from Monday to Tuesday and had rest on Sunday. It was very civilised. He was fairly well off. And my, my grandfather came along, and he was very successful, and he became more and more prominent. The problem, however, was that he didn't have an heir from his first marriage, nor the second one, which produced a girl. So when my grandmother became number three, sort of, and produced my father, my grandfather was delighted, and for a moment... It looked as if I was going to be brought up in the relative luxury and comfort of a rather large home and rather decadent great-grandfather who swarmed around in a gown throughout the week. Were you not? Well, well, no, because what happened was that my father became ill as a child and he was seriously ill and the doctor came along and told my grandfather that my father was not going to live. And my grandfather was 
extremely distressed because he, like Henry VIII, <laughs> wanted a, an heir and had tried, and on the third occasion, bingo, he got it, only to be told he was not going to, to, survive. to survive. So he got into a very morose estate. My great-grandmother, namely his mother, in order to comfort him, said to him, don't worry about it because the feng shui man said that this child is not good for you anyway. Blame it on feng shui. Uh, alas, my father recovered <laughs> very strongly and my grandfather suddenly realized that he was faced with the prospect of a terrible son uh, with bad feng shui. And he was a very superstitious man. So he turfed my grandmother and the son and my father out of the house, almost like that. And, of course, I'm sure that um, people will regard him as a great philanthropist. He, he wasn't on this occasion. No, it doesn't And like um, gave my grandmother quite a hard time. And I think on this occasion he acted absolutely abominably by simply uh, listening to some um, a feng shui uh, advice and um, casting the die on the future of my father and my grandmother. So I was brought up with my parents and my grandmother, who by that time had been uh, ejected from my grandfather's house. And when eventually my grandfather got very prominent, I think he was a bit nervous that there was some sort of black sheep in the family. And he um, suggested that my parents should go to emigrate to, to England because in those days, in the 60s, we Hong Kong uh, Chinese were eligible automatically to uh, go to that country and live and, and get a passport. So my parents thought it was also a good beginning for them, uh, prospects for us to go uh, and have an edu English education and uh, they were both, anyway, tired of living in the shadow of my grandfather, whose ascendancy, if that's the right word, in uh, uh, Hong Kong society uh, has been meteoric. So off they went, and that was the period when my grandmother uh, looked after my brother and me. We had no money. I mean, my grandfather gave her very little money, and uh, we had debts, and... Um, and um, we managed only to hire a room uh, from a flat belonging to a relative of my grandmother. So I always remember sharing a bunk bed, my grandmother below and my brother and me uh, on top. We didn't have air conditioning, but um, we were having a fan uh, whirling round during the height of summer. And I always remember that when I woke up, the fan was always tilted up in the direction of my brother and me because my grandmother wanted us to have the coolness of the fan. And when I looked at her, she was always sweating. And that abiding memory is something which I hope every child would always have of the kind of love grandmothers and mothers give their uh, children and, and grandchildren and uh, it was a it was a small thing but um, it left an indelible mark in my memory 
And, and, and now Christmas coming. I remember the first Christmas we were in Hong Kong. My parents were away. And my grandmother said, well, it is Christmas, so I'm going to take you out to dinner, um, or lunch rather, because we really never went out to dinner. We couldn't afford dinner. Uh, so we went out for lunch. And I was very excited. My brother was very excited because we have always wanted to go to Taiping Kuren and, uh, and eat that uh, wonderful prawn uh, rice. So we went there and um, very energetically ordered this prawn dish. And my m grandmother, however, ordered a pork chop. And um, we all had a very scrummy lunch and it was very nice and, and we went back. Now, afterwards I realised that the, 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 the prawns were, I think, nearly $10.00. And wow. the pork chop was only three. And we really didn't have enough money for three prawns, portions of prawns. And so my grandmother obviously allowed us, my brother and me, to have the prawns. And she settled for the pork, which was a third the price, and thereby saving enough money for us to have had a very good Christmas lunch. And so you have unwittingly asked me to remember coming here at Christmas time, one of the most moving moments of my life when I subsequently discovered that she was trying to save money but wanting the best for us. And, and I think these were specific incidents that have marked me in my life to pay a little bit more attention. And the extraordinary thing was my grandmother never bragged about it. She never said, by the way, you know, um, I, I, I ate the, the pork um, uh, uh, because it was $3. Uh, it, it only dawned on me a few years later when I went back to that restaurant. And you know that moment when you look at a, a menu and suddenly the penny dropped. It's mm -hmm. like a film. Uh, and you go back to that, to that instant. And uh, and so even now when I go into a room where I'm sweating a bit and the room is not cold enough, I remember why. Why should I even be complaining when my grandmother deliberately, with the facility of a fan, nonetheless diverted that benefit to us. And I think that these are the stuff of life which makes us happy and, and 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 i mean people in hong kong in particular like to think that money makes us happy but um i suppose money does make us happy and so forth but the more beautiful like things in life um our memories are not buy. bought probably what a remarkable story i'm sorry i had you wrong i thought you had a really privileged upbringing and you know, everything was handed to you on a... No, and then we went off to... Um, uh, we, we then went off to um, um, uh, England. And in those days, of course, we, we sailed. We sailed in a Greek liner. And my grandfather obviously couldn't lose face because by that time he was quite prominent. So he bought um, us all first-class tickets on a, uh, on a Greek liner. But then we realized that if we had 
just swanned over to Athens and uh, took the train to England, first of all, we might not have the money on the train, and secondly, what would we do when we got back to England? Uh, even though my parents have been there for two years, but, but, you know, they needed obviously much more money. Um, so we changed our first class tickets to third class tickets and, uh, got the difference, uh, in order to use that money for extra for when we arrive in Europe. And I remember we were all put in the same bunk bed in one cabin rather than two rather luxurious ones. But, you know, these sort of things are wonderful for us, that we never come to lose the common touch. Um, and it's like going to Tai Pai Tong, as I remember I used to, on the very rare occasion when my grandmother wanted to go and have a game of Mahjong, I would say, look, you go and have play Mahjong. I'll take my brother to the local Tai Pai Tong and we'll have a fishball noodle or... Um, uh, beef or rice, <laughs> and um, and and we never forget that. I read somewhere you went to England when you were thirteen, and you didn't really speak English. What was no, that well, like? It was, it was it was not very nice because um, the first interview we went to, my mother said, uh, "Why don't you leave it to me to speak to the headmaster?" Um, all you have to remember is to say, "My name is David Tang," because. The headmaster is about to uh, always will ask you what your name was first, and you just sit down and shut your mouth. So we arrived, and the headmaster said, uh, "He said, Tang, I, th uh, I suppose you have had a long journey from Hong Kong." And I said, "My name is David Tang." <laughs> there was suddenly a frisson in the uh, in the in the room, and um, there sort of blank faces, and it was fairly clear. I wasn't able to speak English, and I wasn't allowed to go into that school. Eventually, oh, we found one, but eventually, it's very easy to um, to um, to learn the language. Um, although I joined at Form Three, I suppose, so I actually passed my Latin O level, my French, my Russian, before <laughs> my English, which I took six times to pass, and my English master said to me that I was a complete lost case and that I would never, ever be fluent in English. I, I met him about 10 years ago in the street, funny Good. enough, about 30 <laughs> years after he taught me. And he said, uh, and I said, do you remember telling me that I would never be fluent in English? He said, yes, I did. I said, well, it shows you what a crappy teacher you were. <laughs> because after I left you, I spoke the language fairly well. <laughs> what did he say? He was he was amused, <laughs> okay. ashamed. <laughs> I bet you he was. I want to ask you a question, Sir David. Did you ever think about entering politics? Yes, but I, I think the trouble with going into politics is that you're not playing in a level playing field. I mean, you obviously mean Hong Kong, for example. Yeah. The culture of politics in Hong Kong, it's all messed up. Half the people wanted a sort of universal suffrage, so a much enlarged franchise of voters to vote for the leaders. And then you have the patriotic establishment who believe that, um, that China or the Chinese government uh, want to control uh, what there is. 
But my main contention is that you cannot have such a disconnect between government and people. Um, a, a great nation involves the involvement of people with government. Those who rule you have got to have good communication with the people. And the people, in order to behave and be satisfied and be content and be happy, have got to understand what it is that the leaders are doing and in what, in whose interest and why. And so it is, uh, it is a requirement that that dysfunctional state of affairs has got to be addressed, quite apart from all the other problems that there might be. We in Hong Kong here are fairly luxurious in a way because, first of all, we have got an economy, rightly or wrongly, mainly financed by mainlanders, which is unique in the world. I mean, if there is a, a better Chinese laundry, you, you tell me. I mean, there's, let's be frank, quite a lot of renminbi floating around here illegally. Um, and... Um, I mean, our IPOs in the last three or four years have exceeded 100 billion US. I don't think any of that has ever gone back to China, as it should, uh, and it's all been filtered out. And if you think about it, um, 1997, we only had about a million and a half mainlanders coming. Now we are probably talking about uh, 16 million, 17 million. And we have, of course, the recent controversy about... Uh, the right of abode issue. And yesterday I had lunch with uh, a couple of legislators and a couple of lawyers, and uh, I actually understood uh, for the first time the complexities of the uh, matter. Uh, and I don't blame people for not understanding it, because it is quite a complex matter. And uh, when I was told that um, the judicial, uh, the judiciary here would go and seek uh, clarification from uh, the National People's Congress, instinctively I felt that that was a very, very wrong thing to do and it was a slightly slippery slope and that it might open a floodgate because the independent judiciary is something which we really absolutely want to hold sacred. But having listened to all the arguments and the intricacies of the details, I realized that it was not perhaps such a bad thing to do under the circumstance. Perhaps it was the best thing to do under the circumstance from a practical point of view. I'm quite surprised so, so, you think seeking an interpretation from the NPC Standing Committee is, is the right thing well, to do. Well, that's what I told you. Initially, I thought it was a repulsive idea. But having listened to all the arguments... I was then persuaded that <laughs> even though in principle... Who did you talk to? No, no, I, I talked to uh, uh, two legislators and, and a lawyer who were able to explain to me the history of this case. I mean, I don't know whether you know. I mean, the, the, Chong Fong Yun case. case. Yeah, but this is about foreign domestic helpers. I mean, how, I don't understand It doesn't how. matter about the... Uh, well, on that Chong case, for... A, for 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 reinterpretation. Don't forget, what China said in that case went diametrically opposed to what Hong Kong ruled. So that in Hong Kong's law books at the moment, if you have two parents uh, who are 
even though they might not be born in Hong, in Kong, Hong Kong, could theoretically still have a child who is eligible sure. uh, for the um, for for the Hong Kong citizenship. My my question is, it just opens a can of worms. I mean, once you start going to Beijing for the interpretation, then they get a I say. Know, uh, look, Surely... Listen, I have already told you that as a principle, I found it repulsive. That was the word I used, mm-hmm. and it is deliberately descriptive. But if you don't, you then have the possibility. Of people coming through here and opening the floodgates to quite a number of people. If I were to ask you, how would you like the idea of Hong Kong's population being swelled by a hundred thousand a year, say, whatever?、Uh, would you regard that as as something which was okay? I'd have to weigh it out against. Well, you have to weigh it out. But but the point is this: the perfect solution. Is if there had been another case with two parents not born in Hong Kong and having a child who is claiming right of abode, and 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 there was a question whether in fact Jiang's decision could have been made because there is an issue of that by the way statement. Uh, from the NPC, which need to be interpreted. Wow, let's step away from politics. I'm not sure backstory is the problem, but, but I really, I really think your lawyer side is coming. You studied law, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs>、yeah. But I mean, it, it's not that. But it, it is an interesting point that for a change, I realised that perhaps. The government is not as stupid as it is.、Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you get bored easily? I have not enough time to do everything I want, and therefore I cannot be bored. Being bored is not knowing what to do and having time in your hand.、Uh, half the time, I I would say most of the time, I have time in my hand, and、uh, I don't know what to do first. So, I think a lot of young people looking bored, being bored, is because they themselves are boring. And、uh, you cannot be boring; otherwise, you get bored very easily. Wise words. <laughs> Moving on,、um, you seem like the type of guy who likes things done a certain way. Some people might say, "Are you a, a, a bit of a snob? Are you?" Well, I mean, I, I, I don't. I think they're different things. Being doing things your own way, your own way, and 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 being a snob. I think being a snob is when you look down on people. Now, there are two ways in which you can be snobbish, in my view. You can be snobbish, and three ways actually. You can be snobbish to a snob, in order to put the snob down,、uh, to be an uber snob, to put a snob down, and then you can be a snob for being rather irritating.、Uh, you know, say that、um, you should only wear black shoes、um, during the day and brown shoes at the weekend, or, or something like that.、Um, uh, but I would say. On the whole, if there are things which don't really matter,、um, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, can you be snobbish in love? Well, I suppose you could be snobbish in love if you're a girl or a boy, and you thought that your partner was not rich enough, or、um, have a status in life that、uh, you want to be associated with. Uh, that's 
That's snobbish. That's snobbish. Yeah. But usually I call it insecurity. <laughs> uh, and so that is actually a trait of the snob, is that he or she himself feels insecure uh, and not being able to hold his own. So we've established you're not a snob, then. I'm a huge non-snob. <laughs> non-snob. What do you think of the Abercrombie and Fitch stall that used to be where Shanghai? Shanghai, yes. Yeah. Well, good luck to them. They're paying, I think, eight million dollars Hong Kong a month. They have to sell quite a lot of six packs and um, and. Um, <laughs> have skimpy. you been? Have you been? Yes, I, I went in there and I was immediately grabbed because the, the boy thought that I wanted a picture with him. <laughs> I, I sent it to my wife, uh, who immediately told me to go home, and uh, she said she wanted to have a word with me <laughs> and asked me whether there was anything I needed to tell her. I mean, I, I, I would go in there and I think that they've done a fantastic job. Uh, good luck to them. Uh, I, I wish I could fit in their clothes, but I can't. Uh, I wish I looked like them. Uh, I don't. Uh, and, you got a uh, picture with them, so. But I only got a picture of them, which which is got still you in trouble. And espousal in investigation. <laughs> Last question, Sir David. Do you ever have a difficult time getting a reservation? For, for what? At a at any restaurant. At any restaurant. Yeah. Yes, I I really? had a, I had a reservation. Um, I was turned away uh, only yesterday by the Mandarin Grill. Um, and I've been a fan of the Mandarin for uh, 20 years. I've lived in the Mandarin. Um, what what happened? And, what did you do? Well, they said they were physically full. Oh. They gave me a, a, a table for dinner at, I think, 9.45. Is it 9.45, what, a.m. for breakfast or what? But But I think the main thing is not to make a fuss about it. Now, there are restaurants like mine that we would always accommodate somebody that we like or we feel that we like and be rather greasy. I mean, if tomorrow uh, Madonna came along or Lady Gaga and said that we, they wanted a table and we physically don't have one, we'll make one. Um, it did occur to me last night whether to ring back and tell them that I was Daniel Craig or somebody uh, to see whether they could fit me in. Um, but um, Why didn't you? I, I ought to. I, I ought to have been. But I did, in fact, once telephone Zuma in London, which is the most difficult restaurant to get into, and uh, on a Saturday morning to ask for a, a, a table for lunch. And she burst out laughing because she obviously thought that I was a country bumpkin and that I wasn't aware of the fact that I was trying to get the most precious table on the most precious day at the most precious moment. Uh, and uh, she said no. Anyway, I told her a, f a fib about the fact that I was visiting uh, for... Um, uh, for the first time and I wasn't going to come back. I was a student uh, with money I've saved up to, in order to eat and show off to my new girlfriend, Zuma. I gave her a span, a span, a what an complete story. Very <laughs> Eventually, I said, look, I will tell you, if I come at 1 o'clock, I will give you the table back at one fifty. Okay, I'm sure that you'll be able to juggle around. Well, eventually, after about 15 minutes, the girl said, okay, exceptionally, because you've been so charming on the telephone and so desperate, and you, I don't want to, your girlfriend to you lose your girlfriend, I want you to lose the money that you saved up. 
I will give you a table, but do not, Mr. Tank, be late. Because if you are late, I will give away the table. And you must give me back the table in 50 minutes. So I turned up, 1.05. And immediately she said, are you Mr. Tank? I said, yes. And you're Rachel, aren't you? The very beautiful girl who, over the telephone, has managed exceptionally give me a table which was virtually impossible and she said yes but you are still late i said i'll tell you why i'm late and i produced a bunch of flowers behind my back and i said i went to get you these flowers and there was a slight cue at the till and, wow it's uh, pretty smooth very i was so smooth i thought <laughs> i was going to slide off the 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 the, 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 the floor <laughs> I, I really made even velvet seems smooth. <laughs> RTHK's Noreen Mir talking there to Sir David Tang, who died this week. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.